Psalms 139, 16 through 17 says, Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. So as we were being formed, God was fashioning our days. Jeremiah 29.11 says, For I know the thoughts I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. It's a very popular verse, and it's, it's one that a lot of times we take out of context. We take it to go, okay, that means, since he says peace and not evil, that means nothing bad's going to happen to me. But actually, this is in the middle of a prophecy where he is telling Israel, hey, you have turned your back on me, and I'm going to send this nation, and they are going to come and destroy you. And, and in the middle of that prophecy, he goes, hey, but I know the thoughts I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. He's saying, I'm going to have to do some things right now to help get you guys straight. But my plan, my plan for you, my future, is, is hope and peace. That, that that's, that's my desire for you. And for me, that gives me more hope than when we take it out of context. Because we take it out of context to go, okay, hey, nothing bad is going to ever happen. Something bad happens, we go, God, Jeremiah 29, 11, did you not read your word? But it's not what he's saying. He's saying, hey, when the bad things come, no, I am in the, I, I'm going to use them. And, and I have a plan, and nothing in your life is going to get in the way of that plan. Matthew 10, 29 through 31 says, Are, are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your Father's will. But the very hairs on your head are numbered. Some of us, it has to be like a daily, sometimes hourly count, because uh, the number keeps going down. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many, many sparrows. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship. That word workmanship can also be translated masterpiece or poem. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So you are God's masterpiece. Romans 8, 38 through 39 says, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Philippians 4, 13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So those verses, they're what I call refrigerator verses. They're, they're what we put on our refrigerator magnets, and we're like, okay, this is, this is a declaration. This is important. We, we, have, we, we have them on our walls because it's important for us to know who we are in Christ. Amen? So there's another verse I want to add to it that I don't see on a lot of refrigerators, but I think it's an important aspect of our identity. Romans 12, 3, Paul says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, 
not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Paul wrote Romans, and he wrote Ephesians. In Ephesians, he said, hey, you are God's masterpiece. Booyah. Like, it's... He, he couldn't use more big words to describe. And then, and then in Romans, he's saying, hey, don't think too more highly of yourself than you ought to think. What's more highly than being God's masterpiece? Like, what, what is he saying here? Because, like, I don't know about you guys, but if, if saying that the creator of the universe, that, that we are his masterpiece... There's no higher compliment. There's no higher thing that you can, you can be. When God, in the creation account in Genesis, God created things. He said, this is good. This is good. This is good. And then he created Adam and Eve, man and woman. He said, this is very good. When I read this verse, I'm reminded of a joke. There's a dog, and a dog goes to his owner and says, you feed me, you give me things, you take care of me, you pet me, you wash me, give me water, you must be God. A cat goes to its owner, says, you feed me, you take care of me, you serve me, bring me water, pet me, provide, children, provide covering for me, I must be God. Jesus gave a human version of that joke in a parable, and I want to read that to you. It's from Luke 18, 9 through 14. It said, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes to all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted." So there's three points I want to pull from this parable. Number one is, as Christians, all that we are is by the grace of God. We cannot lose track of that. James 1, 16 through 17 says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Every good thing in our life, every good gift comes from grace. It comes from our relationship with God. So as Christians, we have nothing to boast about. Unless we want to be that obnoxious kid that's like, look at my Christmas present. It's better than yours. 
I, I don't know where I heard this, but I heard it in a sermon, and it was really stuck with me. It said, the only man-made thing in heaven is going to be Jesus' scars. A lot of times when we read about our works being burned and like that, that when we get to heaven, some of our works are going to be burned, we think of like, okay, well, those are the things that we did that were selfish. But sometimes it can be things that we did just in our own strength and, and not, uh, not birthed in our relationship with God. And so realizing that, that it's like, I am who I am by the grace of God. That's going to drastically change the way I interact with other people. Because all that is good in me has been birthed in me through Christ. That means anything he's done in me, he can do in others. And I have nothing to boast about. There's a phrase we use a lot, there but by the grace of God go I. And it's true. We use it a lot. There's some phrases that are, have become cliche, but, but that one is true. It's there but by the grace of God go I. If it weren't for the grace of God in my life, where would I be? I am what I am by the grace of God. So the first point is, as Christians, all that we are is by the grace of God. Point number two is we get in trouble when we elevate ourselves above anyone else. Larry Crabb, in his book, uh, Real Church, he said, Pharisees, not prostitutes, are Satan's masterpiece. Self-righteousness is the greatest and the original sin. We, we, we look at things and we go, oh, that person's a, a sinner, this is that. But, but it actually, one of the greatest sins is self-righteousness. So as Christians, we are who we are by the grace of God. We get in trouble when we elevate ourselves above anyone else. And third, the same thoughts that God has for me and the same grace he has given me is available to all. Those verses that we, we read, I am God's workmanship, that's, not, that's true for me, but that's also true for Ken. And, and if I believe that, that's going to change the way I interact with Ken. A me-focused Christianity cannot last. If, if we go and we read those verses and we go, okay, this is, this is so important for me, that God, God has these thoughts about me, but it doesn't change the way we interact with others. We become stale water. There, in the 90s, there was a movement among ladies in the church that was called the Bride of Christ movement. And it was where they would declare themselves the bride of Christ. It was, uh, and, and I understand the heart in the movement. It was that a lot of the women came from hard things where they weren't valued, and they were like, okay, I am I'm valued in Christ. I am the bride of Christ, but it's not true. They were not the bride of Christ. You individually are not the bride of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ, us together if we keep it individualistic, it's gonna it can create a self-righteousness in us where we go, oh, I, well, I'm, I'm special, I'm important, I'm God's masterpiece. 
but are we treating the other people around us like God's masterpiece? If I truly believe that God thinks those thoughts not just towards me, it should drastically change my interaction with others. God has a plan for every person you come in contact with. What are you doing about it? Those verses, those, those thoughts that are so precious, he thinks those same thoughts towards them. There's a quote by C.S. Lewis in The Weight of Glory that has really profoundly affected me in this area. And I want to read it. It's a, it's a bit lengthier of a, a quote. It says, It may be possible for each to think too much of his own potential glory hereafter. It is hardly possible for him to think too often or too deeply about that of his neighbor. The load or weight or burden of my neighbor's glory should be laid daily on my back a load so heavy that only humility can carry it, and the backs of the proud will be broken. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses, to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption such as, as you now meet if at all, only in a nightmare. I want to read that sentence again. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities, it is with the awe and circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all friendships, all love, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilization, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit, immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. This quote has always been a powerful why for my life. Every interaction every person we interact with, their life is on a trajectory, either to the plan that God has for them or to the corruption of that plan and to the death and destruction that Satan has intended for them. Every interaction we have, we have a possibility of steering them one way or the other. That cashier in Walmart that goes too slow, we have a possibility to, to impact. Our husband who's really annoying us, that 
that friend or family member that really hurt us. We can, we can focus on how they've impacted us, or we can go, this is an eternal being that I have the possibility of impacting. Every encounter we have has eternal consequences. Are we walking in the light of that revelation? I don't just want to leave you with that, though I want to equip you with a simple tool that is shared throughout Scripture on how to walk it out. It's an ignored command throughout Scripture, and that's the command to encourage, to exhort. Throughout Scripture, it is a command over and over, exhort one another, encourage one another, encourage the down, downtrodden, encourage this, encourage that. It's a, it's a command. I'm going to focus on two of the many scriptures about this command. I'm going to start in Hebrews 3, 12 through 13. It says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So, so the first part of that, it says, take care. That means to focus on means to, to make sure this happens. It's like, don't just leave this to chance. Actually, make it happen. Take, take care. Put your mental, emotional energy towards this. And what is that that we're supposed to put our energy towards? To exhorting, which it's a, the, the Greek word is parakleo. And it means to encourage, urge, comfort, rebuke. It's to call to one side. And actually the Holy Spirit, the name of the Holy Spirit, when it says, I'm going to send a helper or the helper, the Holy Spirit, the word is paraclete. He is the encourager, the comforter. And, and what the word literally means is to, to, to urge someone up, to bring someone to, to yourself. So the Holy Spirit is the one is the encourager. He's the one that, that brings us. And so we are a charismatic church. We believe in the gifts. We believe that the Holy Spirit is still active and moving. Amen. If we say we are filled with the Holy Spirit, the biggest sign, if if, if I say I am filled with the encourager, then we are going to be encouraging. The biggest sign is not tongues, it's not prophecy, it's not how, how intense we can be in worship. The sign that we're filled with the encourager is that we, one of these signs is that we encourage. I'm not saying those others aren't signs, but I'm saying if we're filled with the Holy Spirit, you are going to be encouraging. Signs you're walking in the Spirit is you are encouraging. You might just say, well... I'm just not much of an encourager. Then get on your face and repent. It's, it's a scriptural command, not a suggestion. It's not like God's like, well, if, if you're in the mood for it, if, if, you, uh, if you feel like it, you really like the person, go ahead and encourage them uh, if you want to. It's, no, it is, it is a command and throughout the, throughout the commands, it's, it's not, there's not ever a... It's not a conditional command. 
It is, we are called to encourage everyone. Sometimes I think we treat sins of omission differently than sins of admission. Omission is, a sin of omission is when God tells us to do something and we don't do it. A sin of admission is, is God tells us to not do something and we do it. So with encouraging, we'll just be like, well, I'm not much of an encourager. Uh, but we wouldn't do that with sins of admission. Well, I'm just a little murdery. Like, just, just, every, just a couple times a year. Well, I'm just, sorry, honey, I'm just a little adultery. Like, no, we don't, we don't do that. But we, with, with sins of omission, we give ourselves a pass. Well, I'm just a quiet person, a man of few words. I'll leave the encouraging to the wife. None of us are naturally encouraging. We're all naturally selfish. Let's just be real. We were born in sin. person I think about the most is me. Even, the, even when we say, well, I'm, I'm having trouble loving myself, most times it's not, we're not having trouble loving ourselves. We're having trouble liking ourselves. And because we love ourselves, we don't like that we don't like ourselves. So we are all naturally selfish. Encouraging is something we have to take care to do. It's something... We have to make the choice to go, I am not going to focus on how this person is impacting me. I'm going to focus how I can impact them. And it says, exhort one another when it's convenient for you, right? That's what that verse says. The days where you feel up to it, the days where you're not struggling. No, it says, exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. So that means every day, and it means right now. What he's saying is like, don't wait. Do it right now. Don't wait to send that text. Don't make, wait to make that call. Don't wait to reach out. Don't wait to, to say that en- encouraging thing. Do it now, as long as it's called today. And in this verse, the reason why is because Because sin can be deceiving, and we need each other to go, don't give up. How many of you guys have ever in your marriage had a time where you had somebody, someone had to say, don't give up? How many of you guys in your walk with God, someone had to come alongside you and say, don't give up? We need to do that every day. Because we say, "All, all I need is you, God. But God has created it where part of... Who, how we get God is through each other. He's created a need in us for each other. But how do we encourage? I think he, later in Hebrews, it gives a really good layout of how to do that. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. So that word consider at the beginning of that verse, it means to brood over, it means to chew on, it means to actually take time and think about. So encouragement, sometimes why we don't encourage well is we don't think about people enough. In our prayers, we spend time with those verses, which is good. 
focusing on God speaking to us about them, but it's incomplete. We also need to go to those verses and go, okay, Marshall is God's workmanship. God, what are you doing in Marshall right now? What, how, can, how can I help him? Randy is God's workmanship. How can I help him? You have plans for Junior. What, what are those plans? How can I encourage him? And taking time to actually think about it. Kids, take time and think about your parents. Just, just be like, God, what's dad struggling with? What is he, what's he feeling insecure about? How can I encourage him? What is, who, does, does my dad know he's a good dad? Does my dad know I need him? Like, take time and actually think about it. Consider who does God say they are, the people in your life. What is God doing in them? What do they need? What is the work God called them to? Take time and soak. Soak in what God is saying to other, about other people. And if you do that, God has a lot he's saying. Because David said in the psalm at the beginning that I shared at the beginning that, that while he was being formed, God wrote in his book Everything, like all the plans for his day. That's a lot of things. So if we take time and we actually let God speak to us about other people, it's going to, to help us in our marriage. It's going to help us in our relationship. It's, relationships is going to help us in everything that we do to be encouraging. So a lot of times what we need first is to take that time, get our eyes off of ourself, and go, okay, God, who are you wanting me to bless today? What are, you, what are you wanting to say to Dale right now? The leaders in the church aren't called to do the ministry. They're called to release others to the ministry. In Ephesians 4, it says that pastors, prophets, apostles, teachers, they are called to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And by the way, if you're in the church if you've been saved for more than an hour, you're a leader in the church. Because if you've been saved for just an hour, that's an hour longer than a lot of people in the world. Maybe you have 400 sins that you're trying to overcome and you've only overcome one. It's one more than a lot of people in the world. So I grew up in a house that was very encouraging. My mom's so encouraging, like sometimes we have to hang up with her on the phone because she'll just keep encouraging us like when we have to go. My, my dad got radically saved. He was a drug dealer and lived a crazy life and got radi radically saved on a drug high like before I was born. And so I grew up very confident in who I was. And I actually became a little too confident. I didn't, because I didn't feel like I really struggled with anything, but what I struggled with was my head got heavier and heavier. I got a bigger, bigger head, and, and it didn't help. I, in, in the church I was in, I got raised up really quick in leadership. I was a young leader, and whatever I did seemed to go really well. Then I had some unexplained health issues. They could, the doctors didn't know what was causing it. What the, uh, They said that we can throw all these different names on it, but 
uh, didn't know what it was. And there was, there was one night, it was the junior high group I was leading. And, and I got up, and that night we were going to flip the way we did service. I was going to speak at the beginning, and then we are going to end with worship. And, and I got up to speak. I was, I was on a lot of pain medication that day, and I was just in a lot of pain. And I, my brain was scattered. I went, the, I was looking at the paper. The paper was like spinning around. And, and, and I didn't finish a sentence. It was the worst sermon I've ever done, ever heard. I, I quit in the middle of the sermon. I just said, okay, I'm done. And sat, sat down, put my head between my legs. Worship leader came up. And, and I was thinking, I'm done. I, like, I, I'm not a good youth pastor. I'm not, I can't do this. I'm a failure. I need to let someone do this that's, that can do it right. And I sat there having a pity party in the front row. And the worship pastor, the worship leader said, you know when, Pastor Josh said this, and it didn't make sense. He didn't finish the sentence. I was praying this morning, and God told me this, and the and and shared, and and then one by one, a bunch of junior hires came up and said, "You know, when Pastor Josh said this, and it didn't make sense, God spoke to me, and this is what it is." At the end of the night, all but one of the junior hires, and I don't know why he wasn't. I don't were on their face before God. And God spoke really clear to me. He said, I don't need you. I want you. And that night, something shifted in me for two things. One, of realizing God doesn't need me. Not God's gift to the church in the sense that, like, Oh, no, I can't do anything. Here's, God, here's Josh. He'll fix it for you guys. I am God's gift to the church, but because he wants that to be the way. And also the thing I, I learned that night the mo- was one of the most, it was the most powerful night of that junior high group. The, what made it powerful was that it went beyond me. It was the people around me. Because I only can do so much. And if, if my ministry is focused on me, if it's my ministry, it's not going to have an eternal impact. And if, you're, if your marriage is focused on you, it's not going to have an eternal impact. If your kids, your relationship with your kids is focused on you, it's not going to have an eternal impact. If your relationship with your parents is focused on you, it's not going to have an eternal impact. So it takes time, and it, and it actually is a, a shifting away from our flesh, a killing our, of our flesh to c- actually consider other people, to go, okay, I'm going to view my life as how I can impact other people, and I'm going to take time. I'm going to sit down in the morning, and I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for people and I'm going to ask God to show me what he says about them. Second thing it talks about in that is being in committed relationships. It says to, to not, uh, 
not neglecting the meeting together as is in the habit of some. And that's not just a clobber verse for people who skip service. Because you can actually be at church and not meet together. You can be here, but not meet together. It's talking about actually, are you opening your life up to other people? Are you letting them in to where you have the opportunity to impact them and they have the opportunity to impact you? That takes vulnerability. That's scary because people can hurt you. But that's what we're called to do. Ephesians 4.16 says we are fitted together by that which every joint supplies. So we consider each other, we meet together, and then we encourage. But what are we encouraging towards? Because sometimes I think when we, what we call encouragement sometimes can actually be encouraging, like, encouragement. <laughs> like actually taking the courage out of people. Like when someone sins and like, like say you're, you're at home, you blow up at your kids and, then, and someone says, oh, well, honey, it's okay. You had a hard day. And, uh, well, and or, well, he's had a really rough life. That's why he's this way. And, and we actually, wh- what we're doing is encouraging them to minimize their sin. Now, when people sin, we need to encourage them. Don't get me wrong. But it's encouraging. We encourage them by saying, you're better than this. Like, I know who who you are, and this is not who you are, how you're acting right now. And actually going and and speaking and going, hey, I see that, that you really messed up right now. But that's not who you are. Let's not stay there. And we get down in the dirt with them and go, okay, let's, let me help you up. Let me, let, let's figure this out. Let's, let's do this. The Bible says though a righteous man falls seven times, he gets back up again. I'm here with you. Let's, let's go. Let's, let's walk. That's, that's what people need. So what are we encouraging them towards? We have, everybody is on a trajectory. What? When we encourage, what way are we pointing them towards? And there's a difference between encouragement and compliments. I think sometimes in the English, encouragement has kind of become a word that we use to be like, hey, nice jacket, Grayson. That's a compliment. That's not bad. But the word encourage means to place courage in. That isn't, like, unless he was feeling really insecure about his jacket, and he's like, finally I can wear it with passion. <laughs> but most likely, that did not place courage in him at all. It wasn't bad, but it, it didn't do anything for him. That's just a compliment. Encouragement is something of going like, hey, Cray, I, I've seen you grow up, and, and I've seen the passion that you've had and the, your guys' marriage right now, and the way you've loved her sister, and you are a man of God. And I've seen you face sin and humbly, like, repent, and, and, and I am so excited to see what God does in your life. Like, because you guys are awesome, and God's going to really use you guys in your marriage for a lot of great things. You guys have, you guys have faced so many things, and you've, you haven't given up. 
And so I want, like, with, with these two, I want to encourage them because they're amazing. And, and everybody in here, you are God's masterpiece. And look around. The people around you are God's masterpiece. So it's beyond just compliments. True encouragement speaks to identity, who, they, who God created them to be. True encouragement is vulnerable. It, like, you can share something, it can be one way of, like, I could go, hey, Dale, you're a great dad. And that's probably encouraging to him. But I could go, Dale, my wife would not be who she is without you. You're Dale's his un- my wife's uncle. Uh, you have been a father to the fatherless, and you have loved people so much, and it really, like, you bless me. And, and I want you to know that. Like, so true, true encouragement, there needs to be vulnerability. You should feel a little naked or a little weird afterwards. How many guys have ever shared something with someone you're like, ah, afterwards? It, it should feel that way. True encouragement can speak to the future. I remember when Tiffany was young and uh, in the youth group, the the passion passion she had to be a mom. That was what, like she would tell people. People would ask her, "What do you want to do with your life?" And she's like, "I want to be a mom." The and she had some people be like, "Whoa, you need to be more than just a mom." And like, and but she was passionate about it. And the and now watching her as a mom. And and I encouraged her then, and now it's like it's it's amazing watching her come in with her kids, and the awesome young men that she's been raising. It's it's beautiful, and and it's it's affecting generations. It's not just going to her kids. She's raising up godly men that are going to be good husbands that are going to raise up kids to treat to treat people right. So true true encouragement can speak to the future. And we all need encouragement. Like, we have some great dads in the church. How many of you guys have ever seen Junior with his daughters? That is beautiful. There was, like, there was one time I felt weird. Like, I was like, I think he's going to think I'm creepy because I was watching him and I was crying. Like, because there's so many daughters that are being raised up that don't know that their dads love them. And, and, I, and I see the way he interacts with his daughters and, and how it is, and I'm like, and I'm so thankful for, for, for the dad that he is. So we all need encouragement. We all can give encouragement. If you have the Holy Spirit, you can give encouragement. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, get saved. And then give encouragement. There might be some people, especially guys, you might go, well, I'm just not good with my words. I'm a man of few words. Uh, some of the most encouraging people I know are the men of few words. Rod McCall is amazing. Like, he, he will, like, he, and he does not say much. John in the back there, uh, he, he'll just come up to me, grab me on the shoulder, 
and, and say something encouraging. He's not, not a big talker, but w- when he does, he encourages. You don't have, it's not in a bunch of words. It can be. If you're a talker, then encourage with a bunch of words. If you're not a talker, encourage with a few words. But I think the thing is to, to encourage. Let's do it daily. Let's start today. Let's walk it out. Seek to be the most encouraging person in the room. So I'm not going to do an altar call at the end. I'm not going to. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to release you guys to encourage each other. So right now we're just going to, I want you just to close your eyes and, and just consider the people in your life, the people in this room, and also the people in your family, your coworkers. And just ask God, who needs encouragement? God, we, we thank you for the courage that you place in us. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are the encourager, and I pray you would teach us how to be encouragers. I pray for those that have not been walking this out, or those like me who struggle with doing this. God, I pray that you would change our hearts, that we, you would continue transform us into the encouragers that you have called us to be. I pray all this in your mighty name. Amen. All right, so go ahead and stand up and go encourage somebody. God bless you guys. Have a great week. Have a great week being encouragers.